and welcome once again to the How Long to Beat podcast. I'm Rick, and this week in oversharing, uh, I had my vaccine this morning, dose number one. Uh, Bill hasn't spoken to me yet, but I am very drowsy, so be mindful <laughs> if I'm not my usual self, that's why. Um, but this week, fortunately, it's not just me. As always, I've got Alex and Paola with me. And this week, uh, a very special guest, Froy. Welcome to the podcast, Froy. Lovely to have you. Hello, people. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> So this week, as always with the guest episodes, um, we're going to have a chat to the guests, but not before we've heard this month's roundup of the Fantasy Critic League. And uh, I'm reliably informed it's going to be a doozy. Uh, so we'll hear that first. We'll hear a little bit more about Freud, uh, about his history with games, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, then we're going to talk about uh, Beaton's retired playings. Uh, we're going to get on to the guest selected topic for the week. And we'll finish, you lucky, lucky people, with two games the first of those will be guess the game, where the aim of the game is to guess the guest's game. Say that five times quickly. Uh, and then, as always, our raison d'etre is going to be how long, how to, long beat to beat the, the game. game. Nice. <laughs> and uh, let's let's put a little gap in here so that we can um, hear the very special update from Abitage. Take it away. What's up, everybody? I'm Avatage, and this is your How Long to Beat Fantasy Critic League Roundup for June 2021. This was quite a busy month, so let's try and go for a speed run. <gasps> Funky Face Studios extended their lead in the top spot after the release of Chicory Colourful Tale with solid 18 points, as well as Mario Golf Super Rush topping their month off with another three points. Abysoft stayed in second after Ninja Garden Master Collection only brought in two points. General Goods and Horny Mistress held onto their spots, however, they both had zero releases during June. June was a massive month for Mango as they jumped from last place to fifth thanks to the release of Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart that brought him 18 points while Scarlet Nexus added another 9 points to put them back in the game. Frozen Frog had no releases last month but was bumped down a slot overall. Ashmasters also jumped ahead after their first release of the year Guilty Gear Stride brought him 15 points and put them in the middle of the pack. Noise Labs moved up and down the list thanks to the release of Legend of Mana Remaster which added 3 points to their total, while Beatmasters and Cockroach Content Corp found themselves lower in the order as neither had any releases to counter the shuffling that took place above them. Fucking Paul had another underwhelming release thanks to Disguise 6 Defiance of Destiny only fetching 4 more points for our reigning champion. Perhaps the greatest victim of all the movement overhead CD Projekt had no release in June but ended their month only second from the bottom, where City Product Refund lost even more points after Dungeons & Dragons Dark Alliance bombed with minus 11 points to take them back into negative figures. June also brought the most number of drop games for the year, which no doubt thanks to all the new information revealed during E3, so let's see how those rosters changed. General Goods successfully acquired Kiwi for $5, leaving them with $75 left in their budget. Mango dropped stray from their roster and successfully outbid General Goods and acquired WarriorWare Get It Together for $66, leaving them with $1 left in their budget. Noise Labs made a lot of moves in June, dropping Prince of Persia Sands of Time Remake and successfully acquiring the Jackbox Party Pack 8 for $1, Mario Party Superstars for $19, and Advance Wars 1 and 2 Reboot Camp for $15, leaving them with $20 left in their budget. And Pokemon dropped Dream Factory 5 from their roster and successfully acquired Lost in Random for $1, leaving them with $94 left in their budget. So as you can see, there was a lot of movement last month thanks to all these fresh releases, dropped games, and new acquisitions. There were also many confirmed delays last month that locked in zero points for their respective publishers and counterpickers. It seems that E3 came out at the right time of the year to shake things up and inject some fresh perspectives. Now we get to see if they actually produce results. That was your roundup. Good luck for July, and I'll see you later. That was quite the speed run right there. I mean, Abitage has got his skills going, doesn't he? <laughs> Yep. More like rapidage, am I right? If, if you listen, if you, if you listen. I'm still raining at the top and I'm feeling pretty good about that, though. Yeah, I'm you just, are. I'm glad you're that golf like didn't do what you wanted. 
<laughs> golfed into yeah i should have seen that coming yep. to be honest that was just that was just my bad you know mario tennis aces had a similar score just should have seen it coming but i mean i was fooled by the to golf. be totally honest to be totally honest i was considering bidding on that game so you weren't the only one to live in i know someone else it. did bid on it because i beat somebody for that i, I think i i think i think i did bid on it right. and i had meant to bid on skyward sword hd and forgot <laughs> Booyah. Um all right well although why... I, although although with all the uh, negative internet reception it's possible it'll get lower review scores than it normally uh, would. The internet's not the same. We can only hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, without further ado, I want to know more about Froso Alex. Mm-hmm. Our um our question master. Why don't you take it away? Yes, I am the question master. Um so Froy, tell us what part of the world do you live in and how has that affected your gaming? All right. Well, I will say right up front, I don't think it's affected it that much more than you would expect the average person in the United States to be affected by it. Hasn't really been anything special. Obviously, I'm in the United States, as I just said. Uh, Moved around a few times, but mostly just been in one state for two decades at this point, not much. Honestly, I don't really think it's affected much aside from growing up in your standard capitalist slightly conservative <laughs> annoying country <laughs> fair um I, I know you commented a little bit that you said like you grew up uh quite poor and that affected your gaming do you want to talk a little bit about that yes yes i do actually because uh something i this is actually something i've kind of noticed and when people talk about things like re-releases and stuff like that a lot mm-hmm. of people always speak from it from a perspective of uh you know you almost certainly purchased this game the last generation. So why do you want to re-release and stuff? Uh, I can tell you right now, especially as a kid, uh, one of the reasons the Game Boy Advance is a great system and was one of my favorite systems I ever owned, it has re-releases of everything when you're usually too poor to have had everything. So you had a huge selection of things that you couldn't normally get. Um, But like, um, also people discuss game length and stuff. And when you're poor, where you're going to buy like two or three games a year at the most, being able to either have a game that's highly replayable or has a very long gameplay, like an RPG or whatnot, can have more general value than a five-hour one-and-done, even if it's not objectively more valuable as like a piece of media or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff like that, like... I mean, just in general, it means it was very hard to get stuff like basically from the launch of the Wii era until the current era is a large gap in my game playing because I mm. essentially could not afford games for that entire two, like one and a half, two generations. Mm. Like part of the reason I like the Switch, which I only recently got, is it has so many re-releases of games from that era from multiple systems and stuff. Hmm. So I'm basically, ke- I'm playing catch up basically on a bunch of shit. Yeah. I mean, that's... and that's probably a really nice segue in terms of um, what your background and preferences might be. Yeah. That's right. Well, uh, my first console was a Nintendo 64 yes. and my first video game was Lego Racers. Uh, oh, shit, I fun, fun, Lego fun, Racers. <laughs> yeah, like, Lego Racers is sick. It's underrated. I wish Lego Racers 2 was better, but uh, funny quick little story. We didn't realize you need a memory card at first. Went home, played the game, beat the first track, realized I didn't have a memory card, kept it on all night until we went back to buy one because <laughs> I didn't want to have to beat the race again. But uh, so after that Nintendo 64, most of my life, I've generally been a Nintendo guy. 
got a GameCube and an original NES. I have an NES that I played like old school games on. Uh, I have a Super Nintendo I've literally never plugged in, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But uh, the other thing I like, and obviously, like I said, I got a Switch. That was my console of choice. I also like Sony games a decent amount because I, I like RPGs. So I have a PS2 and a PSP. PS2 is probably up there with the GameCube for like favorite slash best console. Yeah. Right now, um, mo- mostly I only have a Switch. I can't really afford anything else, obviously. And like when it came down to it, uh, not only did the Switch have most games I wanted, but because Super Smash Brothers is something that is fairly intricate into my life, it basically means I was going to buy a Switch by default. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a little bit about? Because I know you've you got a lot of elite smash characters don't you oh <laughs> uh, that's right i believe i am at nine i could even open my switch and look if i really cared to but probably not worth doing that but i have about nine characters i'm working on more and i've talked about this somewhat in chat but mm-hmm. ever since i was 18 which at this point would be nine years i'm 27 right now mm-hmm. i have made fake smash brothers movesets <laughs> On a on a on a form thread on smat on the Smashboards form, uh, make your move. And to give you an idea, there was one contest. Contest typically lasts about six eight months. I wrote a hundred thousand words worth of move sets. Okay. And <laughs> so, can you explain a little bit? Because I don't actually fully understand moves like the move sets kind of thing. Can you can you explain a little bit? Like, what does that entail? All right. So, I think the easiest way to explain it is. You know how Sakurai presents stuff and he mm-hmm. talks about how all that stuff is? Imagine instead of doing a video of that, you were going through it move by move and writing about how mm. all this would be if it was in the game. It's like, like a design document. A, yes, exactly. It's like writing a game game concept document. You, you talk about the statistics, how the character would move. You talk about what each individual move does. Usually at the end, you have a play style section where you talk more about how it would all come together as a complete whole. Oh, okay, cool. Oh, shit. So you've done 100,000 on that? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to give you an idea, for my career, I have about 800,000 words worth of it over more than 100 movesets. Damn. That's Damn. like two Game of Thrones books worth of words. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it is. I could sometime I could even link uh, one of the move sets by bringing it up because the mm-hmm. there's a contest running right now of it right now. Damn. Though I've only finished two move sets for it, I'm kind of behind. So, have you been from like with Smash Bros since like then sixty four? Like, is this just like yes, mm-hmm. yes, since the N sixty four was one of the first games I got for it. Me and my mom would play it together all the time too because she liked <laughs> nice. to play games with me. Uh, yeah, I started with the 64, went to Melee, went to Brawl, didn't have a Wii U, so I didn't get Smash 4, and now I have Smash Ultimate. Nice. Okay, so you and your mom would play. that. Uh, that's kind of cool. I mean, that's yeah. very diametrically yeah. opposed from me. Yeah. <laughs> we, we played lots of games together. Like, the three ones we mainly played together would be uh, Smash Brothers 64, Pokemon <laughs> Stadium 2, Mario Party 3. Those are the main ones we played together. That's awesome. Yeah. Paolo, Pokemon were you going to mention that? Brings me back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good old Pokemon yeah. Stadium. Damn. All right, that's awesome. All right, cool. Um, so, and then you talked a little bit here about your console of choice. Um, so, what got you into gaming? Actually, that's I'm curious about this one because you you mentioned you were on the N64, uh, but do you have like a memory about what got you into gaming? I mean, quite honestly, I'm pretty sure it's literally just 
like if we're talking about what got me into gaming as a baseline, mm-hmm. it was really just I saw a Nintendo 64. It looked nice. My mom got it for me. She she wanted me to get me Nintendo because she grew up with like the NES and it was kind of a safe thing for her. And I enjoyed Lego Racers. And then we just purchased more games and really nothing special in that regard. If you want to talk about like what got me really invested in the game. Yeah. It would probably be the GameCube era, and funny enough, Pikmin 2, specifically. Because hmm. the, um, uh, the thing I want to do as a career is writing. And this okay. is going to sound really funny, but the way I started getting into writing was I went to Pikmin 2 boards on GameFAQs and started role-playing Pikmin 2 roleplay. <laughs> and so that kind of was a... I didn't even know that existed. <laughs> amazing i was gonna say i'm learning i'm I learning mean, things that i would have never realized pikmin 2 role play thousand year mm-hmm. door well no thousand year door wasn't role play that was just like form design game design stuff mm-hmm. but like the, i would say the gamecube era and to an extent like persona 3 <laughs> got mm-hmm. me really into game like i'd say persona 3 is more really what got me into hardcore storytelling side of gaming Stuff like Pikmin 2, Thousand Year Doors, what got me interested in gaming is like, you know, playing the game kind of gaming. Gotcha, like gameplay-wise. But, and, okay. Right. Mm. But I mean, to give you an idea, way back when I was on the Nintendo 64, I'd make like computer tournaments in Smash 64 and just watch them. So I kind of was just invested from the start. Nice. So when you talk about like you want to do writing, uh, do you want to do writing for games or like even more expansive? Like what, what are you interested in? Uh, novels. It's more like novels. Oh, that cool. kind of stuff. More... I think a lot of my stuff would fall into more of the sci fantasy kind of genres more than anything. I have some other stuff that's either like more fantasy historical or stuff, but generally speaking, I'm more thinking novels. I've considered going into game review stuff or doing mm-hmm. other writing, especially because uh, it's not easy to become a writer and make <laughs> money. So having a source of income would be good. Yeah. Well, hey, at, le- at least you're not struggling for word counts. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> here's my here's my resume. It's eight hundred thousand words of fake moves. <laughs> That's awesome. Um cool. So then I guess on our last little one before we move along here, um, what's the story behind your username, Frozen Roy? So fun fact, this is once again Smash Brothers. So mm. in Melee, my main character, who I was played as a main, was Roy. My secondary was Young Link. And at the time, I was actually practicing as like a wanting to be a semi-pro Smash player, kind of. Nice. I never really got to any tournaments or anything, but I need to make a username to go on Smash boards. So when I played Roy, I picked the blue color and the gold color all the time, but mostly the blue color. So instead of fire, he's ice, so he's frozen Roy. And fittingly, in Melee, you can only have four letters for your tag, F-R-O-Y, Froy. Froy. Which answers my next question, which was how that abbreviation works. Okay. Yes, exactly. That makes perfect huh. sense. So that, that is why it's Frozen Roy, and that is why it's Froy. That's awesome. Nice. That's actually one of the more interesting stories for a username. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Most of... I feel like almost all of us have just picked a random thing, and then it's just like, and then it stuck. And yeah. here we are. Exactly. Well, the funny, thing is, the funny thing is also when I picked it, it wasn't my main username, and it it's still only one. The other one I use is a combination of two character names from Digimon. Nice. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it's funny. I guess I chose the more like 
standard name when I signed up for How Long to Beat because like my Xbox one is Zoo Funky Face, which has its whole own story behind that, which someday I'll share. But it's just... Can you imagine Paula, Rick, Zoo Funky Face? Exactly right. Alex is just a bit easier to digest. <laughs> I would find it harder than I already do to take you seriously. Oh, that one hurt. Shots fired. <laughs> Listen, I, I'm, I'm going to blame the shot that was fired into my arm on like the unwarranted attack that I just made. You that's see, Rick, Rick didn't attack you there. Bill Gates did. Oh, that's exactly. What this it is. is it. Bill's a trickster. You don't know. He says <laughs> he says things. Oh, that was damn it! I got nothing. That was good, Rick. That was just real good. He's <laughs> like. <laughs> Like, how can uh, I fight that? I, I got nothing. Um, but <laughs> should we that, just move on to what you've beaten, Freud? Should we save it? Exactly. Let's uh, over to yeah, things. I don't think I have anything else. Mm-hmm. All right. So what I've been, uh, let's start with the one that I'm pretty sure like almost everyone here played because it was the game of the month, mm-hmm. Super Metroid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really good. That's how I would put it. It was a 10 out of 10 game. I'd always been kind of interested in it without ever playing it, but I was never quite sure how good it would be, especially because... This wasn't technically the first time I tried the game. Like, mm. years ago, I tried it briefly as an emulator. And then I stopped because playing Super Metroid with keyboard controls is not the ideal way <laughs> to play Super Metroid. Just so you know. <laughs> um, I'd say I was playing it by far. The thing I was most impressed by was the very strong sense of atmosphere and story, honestly. Like... There's almost no dialogue in this game, and you would think it doesn't really have a story so much. But the entire last segment is essentially a narrative game style ending where it's kind of not quite scripted, but basically scripted. Mm. Like, you know, the Super Metroid, the, the last fight against Mother Brain, that's not really a spoiler. It's 27 years old. Also, it's Metroid. <laughs> is, uh, we all know what happens in the end. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, no shit. Uh, <laughs> uh is pretty damn easy honestly so it's more about the sense of spectacle and you know kind of cumulating the story but i was even surprised like um people have always talked about like ridley you never get uh the personality that he's supposed to be really smart in various games until like metroid prime but the entire way his area is designed compared to every other area in the game it's almost entirely traps you fall through the floor, and then you get attacked by a surprise statue from the ceiling. You have to escape through an invisible wall. To even get through any of that, you have to power bomb floors that don't necessarily look like they would after going through a gauntlet of things that you have to drop through other stuff to get to. It's basically a trickster area compared to the West, and mm-hmm. it kind of fits that. Also, I always hear people say the controls were very antiquated, but I actually like them more than some modern controls, frankly. You put the L2 and R2 as your bumpers just to move up and down. Very smooth. Control stick with your left thumb, buns with the right thumb, left and right free to move with your other fingers. No messing around. Like twin stick sometimes can be annoying if it's in a game where you also have to like use buns, <laughs> in my experience. Fair. Because you and end this up. This be an interesting thing with Dread because it looks like that's what they're going to do. It looks like they're going to put the 360 motion. For the yeah, the right it does. Stick. It does, which will be interesting because, like, one nice thing about uh, Super Metroid because of that, you can do stuff like fire crouching, angled up, without with just like two bumps. You don't even have to do anything, mm. and it's actually pretty smooth. 
I know a lot of people also don't think some of the power-ups are that easy, but I was literally space jumping across the entire stage after like two minutes. <laughs> oh, bro. The I, only one I, I hate space jumps so fucking much. <laughs> I, 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 I got I'm with you there. <laughs> yeah. uh, here's, here's the what you have to do to do it. I can tell you right now. You When you do it, it has to be a spin jump. You have to press it when you go down, and you can't go below the height of your original jump or it won't work. Oh, yeah. As long trash. as you don't go... <laughs> <laughs> okay that's fair the only thing in the game i found so or okay two things switching the weapons on the select bun is something required because it's on an snes controller but it feels mm -hmm. awkward if it was on a modern game putting on l2 and r2 would instantly make the game feel so much smoother hmm. and the wall jump is pretty hard to use i don't mind i don't mind that because it's kind of like a skill stealing thing but there were definitely times where i'm like Argh! Yeah. See, there's an irony there because I found the wall jump way easier to do and do consistently than, <laughs> than I ever did with the space jump. Also, you can like you can rebind select, which if you move the the reset button selection and swap that with switch weapon, it just becomes infinitely better. Yeah, I considered doing that. I probably should have honestly, but I didn't. <laughs> like, I I know you can rebind them. I thought it, I thought play on X, but I was like, but what if I want to close the weapon thing? <laughs> And I never ended up doing that, like, fucking ever. Yeah. But uh, I, I, I will say I actually like that the wall jump is kind of hard, because I feel like if this was just a very easy Mario-style wall jump, you would just break the game instantly. I feel like mm -hmm. the game is kind of designed around the idea that you have, if you want to break shit, you have to really get good at it. I suppose. Though I do think they, see, like, they do fix it in, like, Fusion and Zero Mission, though. Like, I feel like in those ones, the wall jump was significantly easier. Like... Um, they do, but let me suggest something. Fusion is a much more linear game where you don't have to worry as much about breaking it with the wall jump. Zero Mission is a remake of Metroid, which already kind of has stuff where you can break it utterly without having to wall jump or do anything anyway. Yeah, but you can break Super Metroid pretty easily too, from what I understand. Like, there's people who do some crazy I mean, shit in that game. <laughs> you, that's that's I mean, half you can the break fun. The, <laughs> you can break the game. You, I mean, you can break the game to beat in 28 minutes, but mm -hmm. that involves doing really complex, hard to do stuff. Yep. That's kind of what. That's kind of what I mean. It's different from that. Whereas, like, if you could wall jump like a Mario game, you could go through a bunch of stuff really easily. I that's think. That's fair. That's fair. Um, nice. Well, what you've beaten a lot of super games uh, recently. Yeah, I noticed that. <laughs> I, I, one last. I, I just want to note also one last thing on Super Metroid. I think the mm. fact that pretty much the most criticism I have is one thing was hard to do and a bun <laughs> being on the wrong spot was slightly awkward tells you how good the game is. Yeah. All right, um, Super Mario Odyssey. That was the other one I beat. I, I haven't done Dark Side or Darker Side yet, which I do plan to do at some point. So how much have I truly beaten it? But I've, you know, been the main story. Uh, it's really good. I really have to consider if I think it's my favorite Mario platformer against Super Mario Bros. 3 and Super Mario Sunshine. Mm -hmm. But the movement in that game is so good. It feels really smooth. It took, it does have a bit of a learning curve. It took me a while to properly calf throw because mm -hmm. I kept, didn't understand. Although that was my fault. I didn't understand what the controllers were saying and thought that you had to like release the cap bun and then repress it to hold it down. And that just obviously made the cap fly back. And then I realized you just hold the bun down. I don't know why I thought mm -hmm. that. The game has a lot of really nice exploration to it. There's a, like the worst levels in that game are the water levels because. <laughs> Those swimming controls in that game kind of suck, frankly. <laughs> and I've yet to play. Whole... With you there. Yeah. 
Oh, you haven't played it. All right. Um, oh, no, 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 I have. Sorry. I was saying I, I hate any game that has freaking water stuff in it. I just, I get to find a game where I'm like, this is so much fun. Except maybe Subnautica, but I haven't played um, that yet. <laughs> and then Paolo agreed. And then I'm thinking if I'd played it, I'd probably agree. <laughs> I, I can think of water levels I've enjoyed, although some of them aren't truly water levels, I suppose. <laughs> but I don't really mind. But I don't really mind water levels. It, I mean, like, let me put it this way. I enjoy Super Mario 64's water levels. Okay. They're not like the best levels in the game, but the swimming controls are pretty simple. You can do all that. Having the ground pound to move downwards and not having that full motion of control just means that they blatantly just want you to grab a cheap cheap and move around with it. Oh yeah, that tip tip is so much easier. <laughs> but um, aside from that, um. Obviously, it's a very simple Mario-style story, but I think they do a good job of making it feel a bit both funny and cinematic. Bowser in that game is real, man. <laughs> I think they do a good job of just having him kick the crap out of you at multiple times and actually making him threatening, more like Mario Galaxy. Nice. Not obviously to the level of Mario Galaxy where he destroyed the universe, but you know <laughs> what I mean. But uh, it, it actually, at some points, reminds me of Mario Bros. 3, because both of those games, the end of it is basically ripping through his military and going to beat him to save Peach. <laughs> Compared to like Super Mario World, for example. Mm-hmm. I loved that game, man. That was uh, such a good game. I kind of want... Ugh, I've been meaning to like go and replay it again, but then the backlog stares me in the face and I go, no, I shouldn't. <laughs> yeah, right. I, I can relate with my backlog that's like 1,257 games. Jesus. <laughs> Just so you know, that's only because I... I count every game I have in my emulator, and I've basically mm. emulated as many GBA games as I can. Like, I, I mean, I, like, I mean, I mean, Same. I have a ROM of Little Mermaid Two Pinball Frenzy because it was in the Scott <laughs> the Woods video as a joke. So, the backlog isn't really that big. Oh God, I could I couldn't even navigate something like that. That's intense. Um, I want to know what you thought of um Super Mario 3D World actually in Bowser's Fury because I played Bowser's Fury a while back, and that was dope. I'm not gonna lie. I haven't been the Bowser Fury part yet. I haven't uh, played it yet. I only I only beat the 3D World part, so I can't see much about it. Aside from the fact it looked nice, and I had kind of meant to do it, but this month ended up being busy for me. Hmm. I, this is gonna sound weird. I think the game's almost more interesting on a level outside of the game itself, in the sense that I feel like the reception towards it on the Wii U was incredibly negative, hmm. basically because people weren't happy with the fact it wasn't a 3D Mario game in the sense of all the other 3D Mario games. Gotcha. And then Super Mario Odyssey came out and they re-released it. And now everybody basically likes it at the same level the critics did when it came out. Mm. And like the game has been tweaked slightly, but I don't think that making Mario move very slightly faster bumped it up two stars for most people. <laughs> I think it's more a change of perception. Yeah. Um, Aside from that, it's uh, it was a very fun game. I mostly played it multiplayer with a friend. I'll say that right now. And I think the game is obviously designed to be fun and multiplayer in a lot of ways. There's just a lot of moments you can naturally, organically do goofy crap with a friend. Like uh, one in the first mini boss with the snake guy, where you go down this like spiral elevator. I grabbed my friend. He instinctively jumped. The elevator takes off and leaves him behind. <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, it's a good game. It has the good snappy Mario platforming. I think it lacks kind of an identity. I think it kind of feels it feels kind of new Super Mario Brosy. Yeah. It it doesn't 
Especially the art style, I think. The art style feels like it's the very cookie cutter era that they kind of had a lot of the Mario games all look the same. And then like Mario Odyssey kind of broke out of it. It was. It's really in that tradition of like, like Mario seems to have two separate tracks, right? And there's the kind of like, we're just going to iterate on the classic Super Mario formula line, which right. is very much like that kind of craftsman thingy like we talked about before, where it's like the new Super Mario Bros and like Super Mario 3D World. Right, and right, then you've right. got the like, we're going to blow your fucking mind <laughs> level. Which is right, like right. when they drop Super Galaxy Mario 64 and Galaxy yeah. or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um. That actually reminds me of something interesting. So, Super Mario 64 was originally intended to be in the style of a 2D Mario game with a flagpole at the end and stuff, but in a 3D space. And they weren't able to actually do it with enough levels they thought it would be good, so they made Super Mario 64. And I say this is interesting because 3D World is kind of a peak of what that kind of game would look like. It's a 2D Mario in a 3D space. Hmm. So it's kind of like the alternative of what a Super Mario 64 could have been. Yeah, I think they made the right choice in the end. But <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Super Mario 64 is legendary. I was replaying it a while back. I'm shocked how well it holds up, honestly. Right. My only critique of like 3D World, honestly, is just that because like when you don't have control of your camera god damn it is really hard sometimes to know where the hell you're about to jump or where you're gonna go you know like you're like uh, i'll admit i really didn't have that many issues but i will say part of that might be because it was more i played a lot of multiplayer so you know things were already kind of crazy with that you know what i mean because you're already tracking two players well exactly i, so, I play it with my girlfriend too yeah and that's it gets insane <laughs> Right. Well, at one point we played with three players. At that point, it gets, you know, you're just basically messing around at that point. <laughs> Have you played this but, one, uh, Yeah. I have played this one, but I remember playing like the, um, uh, the, the, the one with you that was like fully 2D before Super Mario 3D World came out. 3D Land? 3D. Um, was it 3D Land? I don't know. Uh, the one on Wii U, that, that's all I remember. But... Oh no, 3D Land was 3DS. That must have been new, a new Super Mario Bros. game. Yeah. Yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah, the one that also came with um, Luigi's Luigi U or something like that. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's new probably Super new Bros. Super Mario Bros. U. U. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, uh, so I played the Wii U one, like the multiplayer of the Wii U one. Four players. Never again, <laughs> because it gets really chaotic. Like, okay, even like playing with my boyfriend, like the the Yoshi games, it already get, gets messy. I can't even imagine like trying to move in a three D space with three other players messing around or another player messing around. Um, three D world world is on my backlog, but I haven't really touched it yet. Um, yeah. but I was like, should I like? Should I even like try to get the Switch one because of Bowser's Fury, or should I just play the base experience on Wii U and like save that money for another game? Oh, Bowser's uh, Fury is so I mean, good. I mean, I would say that if you don't mind spending the money, um, the Switch version is the superior experience because they also tweak 3D World slightly to make it a bit smoother. Not much, but Mario is a bit faster. They tweaked a few other things, and you get an extra mode that's like basically the length of a full game 
Oh. Not like you know, it's like six hours long or so, right? Yeah, I, I played I think five to six hours, and I hundred percented it. Right. I've never hundred percented anything in Mario, and like I that like Bowser's Fury for me is like a ten out of ten. Like it's so good. Um, right. I, I in fact I haven't even beaten three D World, and I feel like I got my money's worth just with Bowser's Fury. I was like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I feel I feel like Bowser's Fury is basically like um, you know, like a Super Mario World size game that they just mm-hmm. stapled onto a three D World. Yeah. It's like basically game two. It's kind of like game two games in one, honestly. Yeah. So sorry, Paula. I'm going <laughs> to go spend more on <laughs> games you don't need for. <laughs> <laughs> the backlog always increases. <laughs> the backlog always increases. The backlog consumes all. I'm sure that game will go on sale at some point, though. Like Nintendo's been putting their their games on sale more often these days. And I think that'll be one of the ones that you, you'll see around, like, you know, holiday time they'll they'll pop her down they'll either go on sale or they'll take it off the e-shop <laughs> I, I i think it was I, I think it was actually on sale just like a week or two ago oh shit i don't know if it's still on i don't know if it's still on sale there but like mm. gamestop and target were doing like 20 dollars off a whole bunch of nintendo games nice nice and we don't have those here yeah no target here either target tried to come to canada target did dumb mistake target left canada <laughs> 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 I guess I guess they really missed the target, huh? Oh, that was oh. Rick level. <laughs> well done. You've earned your place as a guest here today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. I've got one more game I finished mm-hmm. on that list. I remember that. And I actually 100% of this game, 147 hours. <laughs> it's not it's not technically 100% because they package two uh, a sequel to this game with it, and there's two Digimon you can only get after finishing the entire sequel game. But it's all the stuff that's in the original game. I'm counting it 100%. <laughs> uh, Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth. Oh, so uh, you only refer to the, the first one, not Hacker's Memory at all. Yeah, I have not touched Hacker's Memory yet. I've pl- I have the complete edition on Switch, but I've only played the first one. Wait, I have understand. What's... Did you say again? 100, I played 147 hours of it. Damn. Uh, I will admit part of that is because I was doing stuff like listening to streams and I was just kind of mindlessly playing it at various points. So realistically speaking, you could probably cut like 20, 30 hours off that if you're actually focused and really, you know, optimized instead of just messing around. Mm-hmm. It's fine, really. I only spent 117 hours on the game. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, I, mean, I, I think nothing to say. There are 300 hours on Breath of the Wild right now. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, I think the average time 100% on how long to beat like 80 hours to give me an idea. So, I took quite a while. Only 80 oh. hours, you know. But, um, that's a re- this is a really hard game to talk about without just spoil- like spoiling everything because a lot of thoughts I have that are tied to the ending. Uh-huh. I would say. But I do have a lot to say about the combat system because I'd say it essentially has the opposite strengths and weaknesses of Pokemon in mm. a lot of ways as a game. So um, Pokemon has extremely deep battle mechanics. It has almost 20 types. They all interact with each other in like 10 different ways. You have like 50 moves on each Pokemon to choose from when you count TMs and stuff. We, I, I actually played competitive Pokemon battling online when I was around 15 or so. You an idea. Um, it's an extremely complex system. 
But raising your Pokemon in the game is usually extremely simple. You, maybe you breed for stats, you level up to evolve on like 99% of Pokemon. It's not a raising game, it's a catching and battling game. Mm-hmm. So Cyber Sleuth is like the opposite. The combat system is extremely simple to the point I would say one of the downsides of the game is that's too simple. It, they really should have made it a deeper combat experience. So in Cyber Sleuth, all Digimon have an attribute and a type. So the type can be data vaccine or virus. It's a standard weapon triangle. If you've played any game with a weapon triangle, you know how it works. Um, the elements, uh, you would think they'd work like Pokemon where there's a variety of strengths and weaknesses, but no. Uh, each attribute is strong against a single attribute and weak against a single attribute. There's no immunities. There's no interplay of different uh, elements. So the problem is 90% of the time, your attribute really doesn't matter ever mm. because you're not fighting the one type it matters against. So it's kind of really shallow in that regard. Okay. It's kind of, it's, it can be fun like to mess around with my, like actually a lot of fun mindlessly grinding that game, but <laughs> it's very mindless. The evolution mechanics are extremely wide and complex where you have to meet stat benchmarks on different Digimon to evolve them on different levels. And because Digimon isn't like Pokemon in how things evolve, they all have five different evolutions that can then have five different evolution paths as they go on. Like if you really want to, you can essentially turn any Digimon into any other Digimon after a long enough time. Hmm. So I actually spent a lot of time in that game literally just passing out how I wanted to evolve my Digimon, which is funny enough why I decided to 100% the game. I realized halfway through, I already had like 80% of the Digimon. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, I'll just grab all of them. Why not? I'm already here. That's exactly. what me with Demon Fusion on Chimera Tensei. Yes. Oh, gosh. I, honestly, I would actually say that's a very good comparison to how it kind of feels. Yikes. I know. I tried to play this game, actually, I think. And I don't know. I just bounced off. I really loved Digimon when I was younger. But I, I love Digimon. Yeah. Um. I would say if you bounced off it early, maybe try it again. The key thing that will hook you in is if you start enjoying the story more, because the story takes a bit to get going, as you would expect from like a 60, 70 hour RPG. Yeah. Uh, I really liked it for the most part. I would actually say I liked the first half a bit more, though. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think the best part of the game when it comes to story is when it's more character focused and when it's actually more of the side quest. I did every side quest, obviously. Mm. Uh, I also mindlessly kept doing the repeating sign quests probably 500 times to get like specific ones <laughs> to give you an idea, which is part of why I kept grinding so much. But um, the characters were really good in a lot of ways. I liked Yuko a lot, especially. The antagonist ranged from pretty good with Sudo, who I actually think is a very interesting character and I'm glad where they went with him, to really boring. Like one thing I dislike about the game is after a certain point, it goes from this really interesting setting that isn't usually in Digimon. It's kind of like early tamers and early savers. Real world, like detective, cyber sleuthing stuff. Around the halfway part, they really start doing very standard, generic Digimon things. Where okay. it's kind of neat if you're a Digimon fan, because you know all these cool references. But one, if you haven't watched Digimon, they kind of rely on your knowledge of Digimon to infer these characters' personalities of what they should be like. So you won't get a full sense of them. And two, 
I'm tired of seeing some of these things over and over instead of trying new stuff like all the best Digimon series did. I see. I see. Like, I thought the ending was really good. Like, okay. at, like when I beat the final boss and when I had the cutscene right after the final boss. But then after that cutscene, they do a lot of standard Digimon stuff where I dislike basically everything they do. <laughs> okay. So the, ending, so the ending is like, oh man, I love this. Oh man, I hate this. <laughs> See, I'm a I'm a Digimon fan who basically ends at the Digimon movie. Um, that is the extent, and I still think the Digimon movie slaps. Well, that is a great movie. It does. <laughs> I'm going to say something. Uh, no matter your age, if you are interested in good media, Digimon Tamers is a genuinely excellent series. It's by yeah. the person who did Serial Experiments Lane, and it basically ends up going into psychological horror by the end of it. Oh shit! Okay, interesting. Um, yeah. Nice. Well, that's, you've beaten lots of big games recently. Um, no retirements, though. Yeah, kind of. You're kind of a Paola. No. Paola <laughs> school of gaming. I basically <laughs> never retire a game. I'll put it on the back burner. The only games I've retired are, are like games I don't own, games I retired because I want to play them for the Game Challenge 2021, and it requires one that says games you've retired, so I just retired some for it. Uh, and cheating. NASCAR... Well, otherwise, I would literally be unable to complete it. <laughs> Shocking. Or, or NASCAR 09, because that game literally does not function. I, it is impossible to play. Uh, I'm just going to really quickly, because it takes five seconds. Yeah. The controls are so stiff that you set the control stick sensitivity to maximum. And you peel your control stick to the point where your controller feels like it's shaking and breaking, and you can't make a corner. You won't turn. <laughs> it is impossible to play. <laughs> I dare anyone to, be, to play that. Yeah, I'm good. I'm barely good at racers anyway, let alone a, a totally broken one. <laughs> like yeah, NASCAR on the Thunder one. Podcast. <laughs> like NASCAR Thunder 2003, a great game. Actually, my favorite game of 2002. Fight me. <laughs> NASCAR wow. died one of the worst games I've ever played. That's hilarious. I didn't even know there was NASCAR racing game. Like I honestly, I mean, it makes sense. Of course there would be, but I had no idea. Well, <laughs> they the thing is they basically died after 2005. Oh, okay. Um like they continued to exist, but that was the last time there was a NASCAR racing game that was good. I see. It's worth playing. Sense. Yeah. Um all right. Well, why don't we move along to what we're playing now? Um, Paula, do you want to? Well, wait. Launch? Oh, wait, 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 wait. wait, wait. Did, wait. What? Did anyone else complete any? <laughs> did anyone else complete any games? Oh no, no, it's okay. On guest weeks, we leave it all to you because if we all talked about all what right. we completed, it would take too long. <laughs> there would be no time for anything. Uh, that makes I also didn't beat anything, so. <laughs> I didn't oh, beat no. anything either. So. That's why we do. The irony this. is, I've got three completions for next week. How? But we'll leave you're those the one moving. Okay. I'm the one moving. They're all short Vita games. Oh, you'll you'll find out next week. It's all good. Yeah, you well, I mean, with, with with his new 5G, he can play games even as he speaks right now. Just his head. Listen, I'm, I'm not really playing the game. I'm just like assimilating the code at this point. He's like, I am the game. I've oh, ascended yeah. from gamer no. to game itself. When you truly understand, you won't need to play the game. <laughs> um, well, then, Rick, why don't, why don't you tell us about what you're playing then? Yeah, of course. So um, in the past 72 hours, in terms of when we've actually recorded these things, um, I've squeezed three new playthroughs into my playing. Uh, the first of those is a demo that I missed when we were doing demos, Dimas demos uh, mm -hmm. last week. 
and that was a game called Severed Steel. Um, I think I did mention it very briefly. It's a first-person parkour shooter thing, and it, it borrows the idea from Mirror's Edge that when you are in a flow state, you are just invulnerable to bullets. So whenever you're doing like a Max Payne style uh, dive, whenever you're running on a wall, uh, whenever you're sliding, um, lines start flying at the corners of the screens and you are invincible. Uh, you can also slow time down on and off at will. It's just on the right trigger. Uh, on the oh, right that sounds clip, really rather. cool. It's excellent. There's the makings of an excellent game there. Hard as balls, um, <laughs> but in the best way. It's, um, it's set up sort of like puzzle rooms where different approaches to the enemies and the layouts that they're in will provide you with different opportunities to chain them together and keep your momentum going. Uh, and the momentum is key because the moment that you're not invulnerable to bullets, you are incredibly vulnerable to bullets. Mm. So <laughs> you, 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 you can't really survive more than, more than a second or two of sustained gunfire from a single enemy uh, without being booted back to the beginning of that little level. But oh, it, controls, like it, it controls beautifully. All the stuff moves really, really well. Graphically, it, it's got its own style. I wouldn't say it graphically. It stands out, but it's nice to look at. Everything is communicated well. Um, Keybinds were a little bit of a tricky thing, so I, I struggled even with my um, sort of forward and backwards buttons on the mouse to try and get everything in a position that I was happy with. Uh, but I also didn't play much of the demo. I was like, I fucking love this. I'll play on release. I'm, I'm happy enough Hell yeah. sort of leaving it where it is for now. So, uh, Is it uh, only on PC, or do you know if it's going to be on anything else? The demo is only on PC. Um, I don't know if it will come to other platforms, but it, it right. and the demo, the demo is still available. It's not a Game Fest demo, so if you do want to right, right. Um, try it off the back of this and, and see if it runs on your PC, because I know that you're running. Um, a, Maybe a when my laptop isn't canceling on fire. I mean, to give you an idea, uh, before the podcast started, I opened the Google Doc for the podcast while my I had been doing some stuff on my computer. Said, uh, "Time to shut off." <laughs> Mm. heavy it may well be a little bit much for your laptop then truth be told Uh, but i'll I'll be shocked if it doesn't get a release on um other platforms it it looks like the kind of thing that you could pair back to an extent that it might run on switch for example Um, i think it's coming i'm not sure if they will so there's a trailer on for the playstation so i'm pretty sure it's coming oh all right oh is that for ps4 or just ps5 it says ps4 um it's probably switch scalable then i'd be shocked if it isn't yeah, I'd imagine. I'll, I'll have to put down my wish list. That actually sounds really cool. It's excellent. And, and again, anyone who's listening who wants to give it a go, the demo um, is free and freely available through Steam. The other PC game I started a playthrough of this week is uh, finally our game of the month, Wargroove. Um, I know, Alex and Paola, you have both played this one and had a blast with it. Yeah. And uh, I'm happy to report so far, so am I. Uh, it's yeah. really nicely done sort of Fire Emblem Advance Warsy style um, turn-based RPG in, uh, with best boy dog units. And <laughs> I'm here for that. It, it's nice so far. It is the kind of game where I think I, again, would just enjoy it a little bit more on a Switch if I had one. Yeah. But I also got my PC copy for free, so I'm, I'm in no position to complain at all. <laughs> um, so far, it's really good. And I think you know if you're going to like that kind of game or not going in. It's It's a good example of the genre. So it's not a case of um well i liked advanced wars but i don't know if i like the quirks of this like if you like those games you will like this game yeah i like i've heard people talk about before this game was one. <laughs> i don't think i've heard anyone who likes tactical games and then said oh yeah this game sucks yeah no i can't say i have either it's just a really well done genre entry um 
And then the last one, and this is a Vita playthrough, uh, is Astro Aqua Kitty. So it is a sort of sequel, sort of in the same universe game um, to a game I played a little while back called Aqua Kitty DX, if you remember that. It's mm-hmm. like a, a take on the Defender genre. So what, what they've done is they've taken that um, idea of you being a cat in a, in a vehicle that shoots, uh, and they've transplanted that into... Uh, a slightly more linear action game. I, I think they call it an action RPG. I think that that's maybe stretching the term RPG a touch. But rather than being on a, a looping, like, plain map, you're on actual maps with an up and a down and a left and a right. And there's a currency, you buy new weapons. Um, the story's kind of a bit bollocks, but the point is that the gameplay holds up. And it, it's quite nice to have those controls in a freer setup where you can do more with them. Um, as, as much as I enjoyed the simplicity and, and the, um, the singular vision of the original, I think I do like this one a little bit more um, with the increased scope that it's got. Uh, it's on all the things. So obviously it's on Vita, but it's also um, on the PlayStation consoles. I think it's either on or coming to Xbox. It's on Switch and it's on PC. Uh, it's pretty cheap. And Oh, it's I, on it's Switch, just, is it? Uh, almost certainly it is yes um right. if, if it runs on vita it absolutely will run on a switch and um, well, it's, well, it's a matter of if they brought it over more than if it will run i'm i'm almost certain it's it on is. switch yeah it is yeah. yeah all right cool um and and it's a pretty cheap game and i think it's a really good game it, it's not like gonna win a game of the year award it, it just doesn't aim for that sort of thing but it, it's an easy recommend to just about anyone it's great eight out of ten i'm having a blast with it um, all right i'll keep that in mind oh there you go so those are my three Power uh, to you first real real what? quick oh, sorry, real quick before we move to one you actually just reminded me of something very quick i want to say about cyber sleuth somehow <laughs> despite being a port of a psp vita game it had frame drops on my switch at various points oh, <laughs> I, yes. I don't know i don't know how <laughs> i i feel like sometimes that's an optimization thing though because um I know, for example, East 8, um, mm-hmm. which had a, a Vita release and then was ported to the Switch. Um, I feel like I remember someone on the forum saying that the Switch version ran horribly. And I, yeah, I just wonder with those, yeah. sometimes it, it's a case of sort of allocation of resources and whether you sort of do all the testing, the optimizing that, that you yeah. could or should do. Yeah, that's probably. Yeah. It was just weird to be pulling the camera back on a Switch on a totally blank area and all of a sudden the game stutters. <laughs> Oh, yeah, you, know, you should be yes. used to that on the switch <laughs> i love this honestly, right? I, I love honestly, I haven't had many, i honestly haven't had many fps issues but i haven't played most of the games that would have the fps See, issues so. i've noticed them more now that i've been playing on the series x like i because I, I think i just kind of was ignoring them before but now when i'm playing on a console where like i just don't really get frame drops when like i'm playing on the switch i'm just like holy shit like sometimes you're just like oh it's molasses again <laughs> but ah what are you gonna do i don't right? know anyway i just want to say that real quick so we'll let <laughs> we'll get to paula yeah paula yes. let us know yeah i was thinking like i don't really get like much frame drops surprisingly even in the game that i'm playing now that he's playing the Zelda breath of the wild and Wait, that one fair, for some weird reason yeah it's a Wii U game but um i remember like when it released like really early they actually they had to uh pull up like but like an optimization patch because it was like lagging on the RS with crash or something like that. Yeah. 
Um, but nowadays, I think if you're not like doing glitches and stuff for speed running, it runs very well. Like, the, yeah, it does. I think if you try to do a pom instantly, you're like, I think I don't remember the name of it, but it's like you put a bomb, another bomb, and like propel link across the sky with that. <laughs> Uh, it is interesting how the uh, the game like is struggling like to load something that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> the game's like, what is this? <laughs> I wasn't ready for this. For warrior. <laughs> to be fair, most Wait, things Nintendo <laughs> creates are gonna be fine on it. It's just that there's a lot that Nintendo doesn't make on that console now, which is great because it's popular. But also, uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't really but encountered also, uh -oh. any. I haven't played like Doom. I haven't like played Doom 2016, which I'm sure will have some frame drops when I get to it. Look, those are just miracles. You say that the Doom 2016 port's supposed to be bloody phenomenal. Like, oh really? Crunchy, crunchy yeah. visually, but supposedly they did an excellent job with that and Eternal in terms of actual oh, playability. Okay. Like, I think I think it's 60 FPS. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. It I just didn't looks that. like butt. That's all. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Paula. Keep telling us. Uh, so, yeah, I've been playing Breath of the Wild. Shocking. So, <laughs> I've been, um, I'm finally like going back to actually doing story and stuff. Uh, because yeah, 300 hours in. <laughs> no, uh, this is my third playthrough and I'm 30 oh, hours oh. in. Okay. And the thing is, is, I was going to do Barredania, the the Divine Beast from Dead Mountain. And all my weapons were wooden, were made out of wood. So not really the kind of equipment you want to bring to a volcano because they compost <laughs> uh, they instantly touch the air. So I went on a probably 10 hour 10 hour adventure, like uh getting distracted by carcasses and stuff like that. And finally, I came back, like, just before recording, uh, full equipped, like, with actual fireproof uh, armor and, like, actual steel weapons that won't, like, burst into flames. And, uh, well, and, and I also got, like, a couple of the southern part of Hyrule Towers. So my map is actually looking more like a map now, instead of, instead of that huge blue block that was at the beginning, which is nice. Yeah. Um, another news, I'm uh, I'm still playing the Banner Saga. I think I I put like an hour more than like since I played a game like for an hour since last recording. Mm. And uh, the story like there isn't like really like a I mean, there's there's a story. The, the the way that it is told isn't like really. I don't want to say it isn't interesting, but it it struggles a little bit to grab my attention at times. But and the combat has uh has been like better now than I know like the controls and don't get confused with the with um with how to like switch the characters and move the camera and stuff like that because like who designed these controls for switch <laughs> mm -hmm. um and oh my god um so your decisions matter we already stated that i i find that you got like a lot of food supplies but um i was like walking like with my army in this snowy area and we kind of like lose we lost a wagon and a, and a fighter with it oh and it I wasn't pretty pain. like yeah 
uh, that one in particular, I uh, I haven't like given anything to, uh, but I did like ranking up, rank him up. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so yeah, I kind of lost one of my better fighters, <laughs> which was not fun. Uh, Got I, North again trailed. Good what? <laughs> Oregon Trail plus Norse. Norse again trailed. Oh my god. <laughs> Legit though, that is straight uh, up what this game is. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, I, I lost fighter though. I didn't I, I do have like a uh, a very strong character that it is decimating like the enemy files right now. But know that I'm aware that I can lose them like in a stupid accident mm-hmm. before picking the wrong option and not like in battle, like I don't know, in fire emblem stuff. Yeah, I'm yeah. Scared. I'm kind of worried. <laughs> and I wanted to uh, start playing another game, but since this one has like auto save and doesn't really have a save button on Switch, it, it saves automatically, but I never know where it is. When it is saving, so I think I'm gonna finish. Oh, that's always the worst. Oh no, that is extremely purposeful. Um, This is one of those games where they're like, "No, motherfucker, you can't save scum." (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like living. I mean, I I was, I was more (laughs) meant like when you don't know if it's actually saved yet. No, but but I I I, the thing they could do is like with the fireman games that you can bookmark Mm -hmm. your progress. Mm In the sense that it's like okay, you can you can save, but only if you're like going out of the game, and then you you get your save back like yeah. when you enter the game, and then it's gone. A quick save, but they don't yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah, and that is annoying. Yeah, a quick save would be a good option for sure. <laughs> what do you what do you if if you've been playing it far enough? What do you think of the story in the game? That's something I've been really interested in. All those Banner Saga games. I wonder if you have any thoughts on it. I mean, there's a general story, but I don't find it like very interesting. The way that it is presented, I sometimes like to lose track of which character is doing the talking. Mm. All right. Um, I'm not gonna like it. Like, uh, I'm like, um, I want to say I'm three hours in right now, and the story is like kind of dull for me. All right. So all right. The the general atmosphere is kind of neat. Like how you 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 see your your army like progressing like through these places and um and there's like a sense of um of okay you're moving an army on an actual war that it is that that is there you can also see your supplies dwindling as the day p- passes and it is incredibly stressful if you haven't gotten like those supplies. <laughs> think from what i remember and like i could be wrong because it's so long but i remember there's a certain point in it where it really picks up like in terms of like mm-hmm. story because i think they they do a lot of establishing from what i remember but um i could be wrong yeah, though could. It, it might just be like rose tinted glasses but anyway <laughs> yeah yeah those are all games i've been mean about to uh, get to i have all three on switch oh yeah it is it is still a turkey game. i think it was like 10 to 12 hours like in how long to be so uh even if the story is like this isn't like this great adventure or anything like at the very least like the battles has been have been enjoyable uh, which is what i actually ask for in a strategy strategy game <laughs> right, uh, right. so yeah rick no 
We actually need Dr. Locke. Uh, <laughs> Rick, sorry. Rick, Rick, tell us more about the game. <laughs> tell we me more Severed Steel Contact. Yeah. Uh... We need to know about the games you were playing before 72 hours ago. <laughs> Uh, let's see here. So, I'll, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll roll on in here before we come back to you, Froy. Um, so, yeah, I'm playing two games I was still playing last week, uh, and I made the right choice to start CrossCode. I had this, like, sneaking suspicion. I was like, I feel like CrossCode's going to leave Game Pass soon. And then yesterday, it was like, CrossCode's leaving Game Pass in July. And I went, oh, no. That was smart of me. Um, I'm already halfway through, so I'm not worried. Like, it, it, it probably leaves. Good, good. Game Pass games usually leave uh, halfway through the month and then the end of the month. So probably 14th or 15th of July it'll leave. Um, so if you want to play it, I'd say go for it because fucking shit, I love this game. <laughs> it's so good. I've, I've heard so many good things about that game from a friend who really likes it. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, it's It very much is like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like a very, I don't want to say like traditional because it's not, like it does a lot of different things, but it, it is very much you know, an action RPG, it, you know, it feels like playing an old school JRPG without all of the kind of bullshit of like, um, like for me personally, which is actually funny because I'm playing what would be considered an old school JRPG and loving it. But um, <laughs> I'd also say that this one, it's just like, it's the action combat. It just, it really livens things up so much because the dungeons, I, I love the dungeons. I've heard some people complain a little bit about them, like, cause they're, they're quite long and complex, but I actually really love that. Like I've gotten through two of them and I think there's, I think there's basically two main ones left. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm at, a, at about the halfway point. I might be more at the third of the way point, but uh, I'm about 10 hours or so in. So yeah, probably a third. Cause it, it's usually rated at about, um, about 30 hours or so uh on how long to beat which you know a pretty good amount of time but i'm i'm also like completed five of the 10 chapters yeah so i'm like i'm getting through there and yeah it's just really good it's just really fun and um the side quests are fun the environments are great the platforming's fun it does this thing where there's no jump button you just run to an edge and you'll auto jump um oh legend of zelda stone yeah 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 kind of yeah is that Legend of Zelda style? Do they do that in Zelda? I don't know. The, the, the old school Legend of Zelda is like uh, Orcarina of Time, Majora's Mask. If you just go to the ledge of something, you can jump and just jumps. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, except this isn't like a 2D sort of thing. It works right. great except on the icicle things because you have to, uh, there's like little ice part and I don't know how to admit, didn't love that. But um, <laughs> Alex is like the only thing worse than a water level, a frozen water level. Oh God, yeah, frozen levels, man. Oof. Anyway, well, it's just because there's like so these small pillars where you like you have to make sure that you get enough speed to jump onto them. But then sometimes ah. they'll just—I don't know. It, it's weird. Like I, I think it was just too inconsistent. Kind of is what it sounds like. Yeah, it was it was my fault. Like, like you know, like I was like, I know this is me not doing this right, but then I was like, oh, but I don't want to. <laughs> um, but anyway, I got it working. So anyway, I highly recommend playing yeah. CrossCode. It's not very expensive. Um, it's only like twenty. It's like nineteen ninety nine, I think. Oh yeah, in Canada it's like twenty five ish, but I'm sure in the states it's like twenty bucks. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds right. I'm also playing Pokemon Prism uh, on the Game Boy Color. The fan game. This yeah. is yeah. This is. Um, this is like honestly shaping up to be my favorite Pokemon game. It is really freaking good. It's cause like, you know, I don't know. It's like a crystal ROM hack, but at the same time it has tons of like third generation Pokemon in it. Um, and it's, it's just like, it's really goddamn good. It's a whole new area. There's 20 fucking Pokemon badges. I've got four of them and I'm like 10 hours in. 
Um, oh, nice. Yeah, and you're in like a whole new region, Naljo, but you can go to Region, which was like the region for Pokemon Brown, um, which was also made by this, I don't know if it's like one person right, or a right. team, I'm not sure. I'll have to look it up. Uh, I believe it's a team. I believe it's a team, at least for Prism, because it's Rainbow Devs, not Rainbow Dev. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but, you know, people make up random names. <laughs> but but I, I, I believe when I was reading about what, because I actually downloaded Pokemon Brown and Pokemon Prism. Yeah. And on the Pokemon Brown uh, thread where it was, they were talking about different people working on it. It so would it make to sense be. to me because it's a huge game. Like, it is right, a it, huge thing. It's, a, it's a, literally a full new game, you know? like it's, it, Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's like um the Pokemon Emerald Kaizo that came out where they have literally everything from Gen Eight and before in a GBA game, which yeah. is insane. Yeah, and what I think I appreciate about it the most is that it's it's focused, right? Like it does actually feel like because sometimes you play fan games or or ROM stuff, and it's like it's like been made for people who've been playing these games for their entire life and have mastered everything. Oh yeah. And you need that for mm-hmm. some people like that, that serves a purpose. This one feels more like it's made for people who are familiar with Pokemon with like a little more of a strategic challenge, but it's not like balls hard. It's just more like, no, you have to think about your team. You have to think about who you're facing. The like enemy bad guys aren't like stupidly easy. They actually have interesting right, teams right. that are difficult to fight. Um, it's more like a Pokemon XD level challenge than a normal Pokemon game. Yeah. Wait, is that the Gale of Darkness one? Maybe. Yes. Yeah, I think the so. The Gale of Darkness. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that'd be accurate. It's just like a little more challenging. And and thus, it actually feels a little more, it's a little more engaging and fun. Like it feels like I'm actually um, doing well and I actually have to engage with most of the systems. Like I need to get items to make sure that I'm good there. Right. Um, you know, that I just I just need to be a little more engaged with the game. You know, um, yeah. So you I... know, uh, this actually makes me think of something I thought of when it comes to Pokemon ROM hacks. Is I think they need to generally be a bit more in depth because, like, part of the appeal of Pokemon games for a lot of the handheld ones that are easier is that you can kind of just take them anywhere, play them however long you want, just kind of chill when you're on the road or working out or whatever. But a ROM hack is almost always going to be played stationary at a computer by most people. So it's going to be, it's not going to be something where you're just like, oh, I'm just going to play this for an hour while I'm doing something else and go back to it. You're going to be more focused on it. Yeah. Although I, I'd actually say that this is kind of the opposite of that. It, it It's the only kind of ROM hack I've played that feels like a traditional Pokemon game. And that and like that's how oh. I've been playing it. Like I just straight up, because I play it on my Game Boy Color. I don't play it on my computer. Um, right, right. Because it feels gross to me to play Pokemon on my computer. <laughs> not gonna lie exactly the same i've completed pokemon games that it it's because i know a lot of people use speed up in pokemon emulators i find that i find that kills the sense of playing the game if i do that yeah it just doesn't feel right it it takes away all the sense of kind of enjoying it and just makes it feel like you're going through a checklist because like straight up this week the way i played this game was like it was so brutally hot here that i had like a bathtub filled with cold water and i was just sitting in it with like my computer set up oh i can relate as i watch tv and like and just watch youtube basically and just was like playing pokemon games uh in the bath and it was fantastic (laughs) i can relate to that uh anyway that's what i've been playing so so for why don't you tell us what, what are you playing I've been playing um, a decent amount of stuff. The main one on here I've been playing a like good amount of that mm-hmm. I'll talk about is Octopath Traveler, which mm-hmm. I started this month. I've completed all eight of the prologues, which was my goal. 
and then I stopped to do Super Metroid and other stuff. Nice. Um, the start is interesting. Uh, first off, I've seen some people be a bit critical of this game's graphics. Personally, I think it looks amazing. I, I love the way it looks. So I do kind of agree there are times they can overdo the particle effects on some of the stuff, <laughs> yeah. particularly, particularly the snow areas. I, I think it works for the water, but for the snow, it can get a bit much. Whenever they're not overdoing the particle effects, the sprites are very detailed. Mm-hmm. They all have this very, not old school game, but old school real life feel, if that makes sense. If you... It's like um like if you look more like an old painting than if you looked at an NES game as weird as that sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, the combat system, obviously, since I just played the prologue, it's generally not gone super in depth, but I can see a lot of potential in it. There's a lot of ways I could see this be interesting. There's a lot of systems to tinker with. All the characters have something unique. Um, <laughs> the prologue stories, you know, obviously they're only prologues, and they're all meant to be. be- because this game's not really a traditional RPG in a lot of ways. A traditional RPG, you're going on a story. You're going to be going through a long main story if it's like this kind of RPG that's like a long one, not like a Cosmic Star Heroine or whatever that's like 13 hours. And you're going to be kind of progressing all that. This is more like a vignette of short stories. And I think that's actually a very interesting appeal. But because of that, obviously, going through the... Pr- like, I'm going to bet a lot of people bounce off this game... Because I think it's, I think they've messed up the structure of it somehow. They gated too much around the fact you have to do everyone's one and then everyone's two and everyone's three. I think they should have done more dynamic scaling in some ways. So if you just really like a character, you can go one, two, three, four, or rather two, three, four. I can understand making everyone get the prologues. I mean, honestly, this is a game that I feel like everyone plays, no one beats, you know, like I retired it because like it was fun, but I got through like to four maybe in each of them. And I was like, no, I'm done. <laughs> I, I mean, I, sp- I spent 147 hours, 100% in a Digimon game. So I'm going to at some point. Yeah, you're I'm, a very I'm specific person. type of gamer. <laughs> exactly. I, I'm that kind of gamer. Um, mm-hmm. The stories range from pretty good to pretty mediocre, I would say. Mm. I really like Tressa's because first off uh some of the stories feel a bit too similar to each other in some ways Tressa's felt probably like the most unique one I kind of like the fact there wasn't some central driving question quest kind of thing I was basically just going on an adventure because this game obviously has the Dungeons and Dragons style you're going to gather your party and go on an adventure vibe Mm-hmm. I liked Primrose because it probably it felt like the that one felt like the most involved along with Hanets, which was the other one I liked. Hanets, the one I started with, but then some of them like uh, uh, God, what's it? Cyrus? That's it. That's the name. Mm-hmm. That's the one. That's the professor. His just feels what it's going for is a start, which is like a mini investigative sequence. Does not feel like it properly works if you shove it in a one hour prologue. It just isn't yeah. interesting. It's too obvious that obviously the headmaster of the school is going to be the bad guy. You're going to come back and fight at a later point or do something with compared to everything. It's by far the most predictable feeling one. And I mean, I could be wrong. Obviously I haven't played that far, but oh, uh, no, they're all pretty predictable to be honest. They're not, right. they're not that special. <laughs> I mean, they're still pretty predictable. Like the Hanet one, it's like, Oh, you're not really sure what's going to happen. Maybe he died. Maybe something else happened. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm sure it's not going to be like final fantasy seven twist. But it's not like I could tell you the entire plot just from the prologue. 
Yeah. I bet I could tell you like the entire Cyrus plot for the prologue. Honestly, this game's more of like a proof of concept, you know? And like I like the I concept. Agree. You know, like I'm like, yeah, make more games like this, but yeah. I mean, my suggestion would be uh this would probably work best if you cut the party in half and made it mm. for more in-depth stories, but still kind of vignettes. Like, I think this would work better as four stories of eight chapters and eight stories of four chapters. Yeah. Nice. What else? Which would like? still be active. Um, well, I play, I've been playing Super Smash Brothers, but I don't have anything that I say about that I haven't said already. <laughs> I haven't gotten anyone new in Elite Smash or anything, so not much about that. Um, like a lot of people in Hawaiian Divine, I played some Carcassion as a multiplayer game. I somehow won the first game not understanding half the rules. <laughs> Which surprised me. I still don't understand the thing. rules. <laughs> I just understand how you screwed me over, Alex. I'm still not happy about that. What? I'm going to be honest, man. I didn't even know I was doing that. <laughs> In one of our games. How cool. He's like, I don't even know your name. Uh, Tiamat was like, oh, yeah. Uh, Alex, can you put that one tile that I desperately need in this place, please? And I was like, okay and team out went and won didn't he so i'd already lost the game i was like sure i don't care yeah i like, didn't know oh i didn't know you should have said something <laughs> no you, no you had lost no you had lost rick you just didn't know it yet <laughs> yeah i didn't know i was being double agented so double agent implies that i knew what i was doing though <laughs> yeah you hey, said no. double idiot would be more of a more of an appropriate yeah that's, that's much more appropriate <laughs> <laughs> he's double trouble i just had no uh, idea i was like oh what what did i do <laughs> well you know uh tiamat has multiple heads i guess one of them's out <laughs> apparently anyway um i don't really have too much to say about that it's fun um i will say that game has one of the worst tutorials i've played in a while oh yeah it's a board because they it- all suck <laughs> No, there's yeah. four games that have that have tutorials that make sense. I've I've played games like that that have tutorials that actually tell you what happens. It doesn't tell you. I'm telling you, it does not tell you the rules. It just says it doesn't like, do a hey. good job. I agree. It doesn't do a good and, job at all. Like I learned far more just opening the instruction booklet that comes with the program yeah. than I ever than the tutorial. Yeah, that's usually the way to go with board games because everything is there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but um. It's fun. Um, I, I messed up stuff like roads and stuff in the second game, and they lost really badly. There's some stuff where it feels like it's, I know it's not inconsistent, but because I don't understand the rules yet, I haven't learned them enough, they mm-hmm. feel inconsistent just because I'm not good enough yet. Nice. But um, that's about all I have to say about that. Um, I've, Civilization 4, I also don't have too much to say about. I mean, I could talk about the game for ages. I have over 4,000 hours in it. Oh, boy. All right. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Rick's like, I feel like going to sleep just hearing about playing something for 4,000 hours. I feel like going to sleep anyway. I'm, I'm quite drowsy. Anyway, that's besides the point. Sorry, go on. But, uh, so I, but I haven't played too much. My computer can't really handle it too much right now. It crashes if you play it too long, obviously. Even though this game is um, 14 years old now, around that old. <laughs> um, but I've been, I've been playing multiplayer with uh, oh, who all is in the game? Nob, Abitage, and Yuvez. That's Yuvez? play by email, so we haven't gotten too far. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Yuvez <laughs> is how I pronounce it. So there you go. <laughs> um, 
I've been playing play by email with them. It's pretty fun. I can't say too much because they'll be watching the podcast and know my moves. But <laughs> it, 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 it is a bit awkward to my position because uh, most of them have not really played at all. I have 4,000 hours. <laughs> yeah, I'm so, going to say you probably have a slight advantage. <laughs> okay. And, and, you know, I, I don't, I, I don't want to potentially go so hard. I just like crush everyone. You know what I mean? Like, I don't necessarily want it to be like, oh, I won already. Yes. Bye. So I, I'm thinking about what to do, but I'm not gonna go easy on them either, you know, because that'd be unfair. That'd be unfair to them if I just was like, oh yeah, whatever, you know. Sure. I, I want to play. <laughs> they I probably mean, don't know. think so. <laughs> All right. Um. Uh, funny enough, considering Paul was talking about it, I played about ten hours of Breath of the Wild, which I'd started like ages ago. Played a little bit. I just played like the start with the four shrines, and I put it down for a while. About 10 hours in. It's pretty good. I'm a bit divided on some stuff. I'd say by far the thing I'm most worried about continuing in is if shrines will continue to feel rewarding to complete. Because the problem I have with the durability system isn't running out of weapons or anything like that. Because you never run out of weapons in that game if you know mm -hmm. any. Like, you, you don't even have to know what you're doing. You just pick shit up, just naturally moving around the world. The problem I have is that it means that a lot of the rewards are just stuff that's going to break and ultimately be meaningless. So it's like, sometimes I mean, hard challenge and I inherently want to beat it because, you know, it's a cool puzzle. But there's also part of me that's like, I mean, I really don't need anything here. I could just go do something else. <laughs> Um, I almost wish that like when the weapons broke, they left like little shards behind of something that you could craft or something. So you got like extra stuff or like could like stat up a weapon that'll eventually break too, but then you're still getting extra stuff from your rewards. I don't That's know. That's a good idea. It, it, there's like <laughs> obviously part of it is is that the game is trying to be intrinsic reward where the reward isn't the item you get, the reward is the satisfaction of completing a puzzle. Hmm. But just feels kind of bad when you complete something and then like two shrines later, whatever, all the stuff you got from it's gone. It's already broken. Mm. Uh, the exploration of that game is top tosh, though. Mm. Like by far the most fun I've had in the game is trying to find something that doesn't like and can get to and figure out how to get to it. Um, That's like the main appeal, basically, I think. The other three I played, Hearthstone, I don't have anything to say about. It. I was just basically gonna skip over it anyway. It's just been playing card games and stuff. It's Hearthstone. It's been out for decade. If you, you already know about it. Uh, Joe and Mac 2, I played about 30 hours. It feels like an extremely standard SNES platformer, mm -hmm. but with like some flavor that makes it kind of stand out. Like it's got a funny caveman aesthetic. It has like RPG elements, surprisingly. Okay. As an overworld, like not like um, a Super Mario overworld, like a Legend of Zelda overworld almost without combat. Okay. Uh, but that's about all. Uh, the, one, the only one I'll talk about a little bit more in depth is partially because I actually started playing this by accident, essentially, and I find that funny. I started playing more Fate Grand Order the past week mm -hmm. because I opened it up because my iPad was updating and there was a someone I know had their iPad break because of an update. And I wanted to make sure if it broke, I wouldn't lose all my progress. So I got the fit code you saved from it. And then I realized there was something I wanted that if you play for enough like, you know, if you complete the event, which was actually pretty funny, you get it permanently for free. <laughs> so I just went through that real quick. Hmm. I end up getting it, like, with uh, an hour or two before I slept on the day where when it woke up, it would have been over. <laughs> That's all I have to say about it, though. Nice. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, great. It looks like we've gotten through all our plans. So why don't we move along? So you brought us a topic this week. 
talk about, which we're fairly excited about because this is something we sort of touched on a few weeks ago. Uh, do you want to introduce your topic to us? Yes, I do. Although I hope that the direction I'm going to take the topic is one that you're a bit interested in because uh, the topic is about games as art and stuff like that. But I kind of want to touch specifically on a sub theme of it to a degree. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, we can talk about the broader nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, uh, talking about games as art, I don't really think there's much of a debate they are. Just think about it logically for five seconds and they are. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that actually really bugs me when people talk about games as art, mm-hmm. um, this is especially prominent with a lot of Western journalists and reviewers in my experience and a certain subset of people, is according to some people, games only became art around 2007 when a lot of, when like Bioshock came out, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. like that's one of the big games and that really bugs me when you look at so many games that came before from so many studios like um obviously something you've probably noticed is i like rpgs a lot but even aside from rpgs and stuff like um i, I feel like a lot of people are like oh games became art in 2007 bioshock and then later the last of us and stuff like that i feel like it's not they became art it's that they became cinematic <laughs> It's like The Last of Us is basically The Walking Dead as a video game. See, Even I, I want like I want to touch on that. I don't mean like that. It's the plot of The Walking Dead. What I mean is that it takes a general concept of that kind of TV show style approach to a zombie apocalypse. You have a father interacting with a child, and that's the crux of a large amount of stuff. It doesn't like zombies since their inception with George A. Romero have always kind of been, mm-hmm. or not always, that's a generalization, have a lot of times been social stand ins that are meant to represent something within it. You know, mm-hmm. in Night of the Living Dead and stuff, it was meant to represent mindless consumerism and masses. And eventually it leads into even criticism of the police but i don't need to get into all that um yeah i mean good zombie flicks do like you're totally on it <laughs> like right. Zack snyder's well, army of the dead is shoot things <laughs> but yeah right, exactly just <laughs> and i feel like the last of us like the zombies are more aesthetic than the point like obviously it's post-apocalyptic and they're going through all that but it could be a post-apocalypse with almost anything that you could replace it with like it could be dead space space monsters and all that and the plot would be the same Kind of humans are the real monsters yeah i don't know what you say but and, i'd actually and I'm, I'm not i'm not saying that's inherently bad i'm just saying it's more that it became more like how tv shows and like handle it than they became art see i'm gonna push back a little bit actually. Oh, sorry, oh, oh do you have a counterpoint rick go ahead <laughs> i go do ahead. so i think actually it's more a question of the maturity of gaming media yeah i, uh... I think it, i think it's more a question of the ability of the people who cover games in a professional capacity to talk about them in a more meaningful sense or maybe even a willingness to do so i I think that speaks more to Hmm. um where that discussion really starts to build and take shape so i totally agree games have always had artistic components when you look as far back as um i'd say around the i was i was going to say nes but i'm thinking sort of late 80s early 90s when things start to um build more beyond the arcade experience and do more with the home experience and and things like that but i also think if you look at the way that games were covered at that time it was a very immature um press it was mostly just to to sell things right like nintendo power was just like selling stuff right well, yeah, that, that's Nintendo's trade magazine, it, yeah. obviously. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, like that or Sony magazine or whatever are going to be more selling stuff. But like also, uh, 
like the NES and stuff was obviously marketed as a toy. So when people reviewed it, they reviewed it more as a toy than as a media form. And this is actually so something that I think there is like, like I, I, you know, tend to say on the side too, where I say like, yeah, of course games are art, but there is also like an argument to be made that at their inception, it was a gray area, right? Cause like, I mean, do we not call, really. Cause... Well, yeah. Cause do we call toys art? You can say that they are artistic and that people who are very good and very strong with their art create them. But um, there's also a question to be made of like, I don't know. It is a debate. Like, I'm not actually sure where we land on it. Because I mean, for some people, they'll say action figures are art because they'll put them up and they'll display them. I mean, here's the, here's the thing. The art, I don't think the value of the art and whether it's sold for profit or made for that kind of thing matter. Like, um, the Sistine Chapel ceiling is art. And it was made entirely for profit and because the Pope wanted it. Michelangelo didn't even want to do it. But it's undeniably art. When you look at Greek theater, when you look at many things... They were often for profit. They were often for the purpose of making money. But well, we wouldn't say they weren't art. Profit's not the issue, though. It, it's it's actually the usability. It's actually the, the 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 purpose of them. But anyway, that's not actually the thing that I'm so concerned about. I think right, I think right, games right. started initially um, in this more toyetic form. Um, and like Rick's sort of mentioning, not only just the media, but I do think there was actually quite quite a shift that occurred um and is continuing right with games like bioshock and last of us it's not i I don't think it's that they're more tv like like we often we often say that but like really they're not actually like if you look at television and you look at something like the last of us they're not necessarily sharing as much as we might think they are um they might be faking it to make it seem like that, but there's still the interaction that's happening between player and, and game. But I think what's really fascinating is that... I mean, I, I don't think that the interaction between player and game really matters for if it's TV-like, because it's about the presentation, not about the amount of gameplay. Sorry, what do you mean? Can you, can you explain that? Like, um, the way The Last of Us presents itself, at least in my mind, um, is more like it is a playable TV. That doesn't mean that there's not gameplay. But it's more as if you're playing through a show plot line that has very similar ways of framing things in terms of the cinematic and how it goes to the story rather than the amount of gameplay within the game. Okay. Because there's always been games like that that didn't have much gameplay. Right. But I mean, Last of Us but- does have quite a bit of gameplay. Paula, go ahead. Yes. Yeah. What I was thinking is that it is more in the lines that people developing the games have nowadays like more resources more techniques that have been building up for ages Mm -hmm. so like to some extent like the natural like curse of action or like the natural like evolution of the media Mm -hmm. seems to be like at least the ones that are like more photorealistic or like Mm -hmm. had a high fidelity lean a little bit more like on a more cinematic uh, experience because they're borrowing like techniques from the more like uh, cinema or TV show part of the entertainment. Right, that's kind of what I was saying. Yeah, but uh, what I mean is, is that not necessarily like games as like generally are becoming like more cinematic. They are like using more different kind of techniques and resources. Mm-hmm. Right, but I think a lot of people then say that because of that, they are becoming more artistic. 
which isn't really the case. I don't think it's more, it's just a different technique of style of throwing it out there. Yeah, I would That's say, like, because like, oh, Paula, yeah, sorry. Oh, because like, not only like pixel art, well, fucking pixel art is art, so like, you <laughs> yeah, have yeah. like your, your argument like right there. Yeah. Um, but the general, like, like, I feel like the general consensus, like most people that don't know, like, how games are made maybe you're thinking like oh they are more artsy now than ever but yeah. reality sometimes they're just like more high fidelity than ever in some <laughs> yes but that I aside like there are uh, people like are not really counting that are uh, the, the the gaming experience like the artist the the art on it isn't just like the visuals but mm-hmm. it's also like how you tell a story how you mm-hmm. catch your audience or how you tell something like with gameplay, like you said, like the Ridley section, like in Super Metroid, you could say that's a form of storytelling and art. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You make an argument for that. But also like like the the music itself, like game uh, video games are a composition of different aspects of art. Mm -hmm. Yes, I I definitely agree with that. So yeah, there's the thing that Video games didn't start being art at that point, but they were art before. They're more maybe artistic in some regards now. Uh, or you can say like some are losing art because there's like so many things to work with mm-hmm. that they you, you, you don't always have like the creativity that comes from the restrictions you used to have. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah that's true. Um, yeah, I think something. I'll, I'll, um, if I could, yeah, I'll, sorry. I'll, I'm like, oh, I'm excited. Yeah, I had an idea. This is good because <laughs> I think something that we can use that's really useful for us is that, you know, amazingly, the 20th century didn't only have like one art form that kind of emerged. It had two, right? Because like, there was film and video games, which is kind of insane yeah, when you yeah. think about it. And like when you look at their, technically, you could even say three because television too. Television is where my mind had gone. I have to be honest. Yeah, that is. And well, I think it's yeah. a better parallel in terms of people taking it more seriously as time goes on. I think that that yeah. ultimately. Yeah, I would. I would, I would say that. Like, hold on. Let me. Let me do my thing. <laughs> I promise it'll. It'll all connect uh, to television. But when when film started, film. Um, was basically being done as plays, right? Like they took right. they took the art form that they understood plays and they did that, right? And you know, for a long time, there was no sound, there was none of this. So like, they were trying to figure out how the heck does this work, right? And when right. you actually look at early movies... It's like the NES age of it. Yeah, in a lot of ways, yeah. And it, it, I mean, it's, I would say even earlier, like even like when you think the PC... The back of Atari yes, days. Exactly. Like when you think about these games and when you look back at all those games, they're very different, right? All of them are very mm-hmm. different because it's a lot of new ideas. Now when you look at games, games are all yeah, references yeah. to one another, right? Same with, with movies. Early movies are right. so vast different from one another because people are like how do you make them and sometimes when you go back and watch right. an old movie you go we don't do that because uh, you know we learn right. our lessons right and video games right. are a little bit in that too so i'd actually say that like what we're seeing with games is games are still trying to figure out uh, and this is like with the tv connection tv took a long time to fucking figure this out they were like what the hell yeah. are we how does this work and still a lot of tv shows are right. still not sure about this right they're like okay we're long oh, yeah, content sure. but are we weekly should we leave a cliffhanger every time do we even need a cliffhanger are people you know what i mean like they're like figuring out right. uh, their systems and what kind of tv show are we even kind of thing yeah and i think gaming 
And this is why I do think there's a reason people focus on 2007, because it was one of the first times where we saw like a really bold, cohesive attempt at story, right? And No, I don't agree with that. Uh, but I think I think it's really one of the first times we see like a really complex sort of take on this in a new uh, one that had a cultural maybe. cut through as well. I think yes. significantly. Uh, I, I, I would disagree with that. I would say about a decade earlier. Yeah, but here's the thing: it I, didn't cut through culturally, and that's that's to Final me. Final Fantasy Seven. Yeah, but Final Fantasy Seven is not entirely regarded for its story. Like I understand why it's, it's not in, it's not entirely, good. but it was quite a bit. Yeah, you got stuff like that. Yes, and, and I, I would say that I, I would still, and part of the reason I'm bringing it up specifically is because it sold so much, which means that mm-hmm. it must have reached a fairly wide audience and compared I, to other things where it's like they didn't sell much. But I would, I would honestly call Final Fantasy VII like the one, like one of the first talkies. You know what I mean? Like if we were to compare them to like film, not nothing bad. It's just like it's yeah. it's important, but it's on its steps, right? Like because I'm gonna be honest with you. <laughs> I, I played even the remake and like storytelling's not its strong suit. It's interesting. I I, 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 I disagree with that. I will and that's admit. totally I, fair. I, that's that, but that's more of an opinion thing. That's more yeah. about opinion and quality than what we're talking about, which is more inherent qualities. So, but well, it's not even inherent. It's just I mean, like I think video games are finding how they tell stories, right? And and it's they haven't figured it out yet. There's some really cool ones because like look, we're all people who fucking love games. Like we're the most biased motherfuckers because we're like. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean, something to consider for all these perspectives is that mm-hmm. we're going to be outside the normal because mm-hmm. the average person doesn't buy and play and look into as many games. And that's something to always consider. Yeah, and that's what I think is like. I think what Rick was pointing out was that games like Bioshock and Last of Us stuff, like they kind of cut through and reached people that they wouldn't have reached before. Which is sort of like when movies started to figure their shit out. Suddenly, it's reaching more and more people, right? And I don't know if that's necessary. Sorry, Rick, you had to join that. I, I, all I was going to say is you, you've got to sort of remember the environment that the Bioshocks and and um, and games like that were coming into because you've got a whole swathe of people who play Call of Duty who already have that system who see right. something that that looks like it's got quite a similar setup because mechanically it does, but then takes you in that other direction narratively. For all the copies that Final Fantasy VII sold, I wonder how many people got past disc number one to get to where any of the cut through narratively and the narrative is questionable uh, I, I would agree i i, wonder uh, how many people I, I, I would say and let me finish please before let me finish sorry sorry and and I, I think that ultimately is the difference like final fantasy was impactful as a game bioshock was impactful as a game with a strong narrative and i do think there's an important distinction there i mean I'm not entirely sure I frankly agree with that, but that's going to come down to more opinions on... Because, yeah. I mean, here's something to consider when we talk about impact. Final Fantasy VII basically created companies like a lot... Like, um, if you read about Bioware or if you read about Planescape Torment or if you read about a lot of Western RPGs, they all... Like, um, Fable, Peter Molyneux uh, said he was heavily inspired by Final Fantasy VII and that it was one of the most influential RPGs of all time. Planescape Torment directly thanked Final Fantasy VII as inspiration for the game. Bioware said that it affected their production on, what was it, Baldur's Gate 2? No, Probably, yeah. I think it was a later game. Because Bioware I was think made that, a bit before that game, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. They, they, were, they, were, they, were made a bit, they were made a bit before, but it affected one of their 
uh, projects that came out like one or two years later. I don't remember which one off the top of my head. It was probably show... Baldur's Gate 2, to be honest, because that was 2000. I, I, I also that's think that's the wrong way sense. of looking at it, because Final Fantasy VII mm-hmm. was influenced by the original Final Fantasy, which was on the mm-hmm. NES, which was probably influenced by Jumpman in the arcades. Like you, you can follow the train of influence all the way back. Well, that, doesn't, I mean, that doesn't speak to cultural cut through in the slightest. That, that doesn't speak necessarily speak to cultural cut through in that sense, although I would say that when I would say that when you look at, I mean, it's one of those things because you can't really, I can't just say, oh, it was culturally cut through without having to provide an example. And then I have to try and find on Google to kind of talk what I'm talking about. Yeah. It, it's uh, more what I'm, sorry, go on, I'm doing what I, what it, I got. It, I, I, don't, I don't mind if you interrupt sometimes because that's just how conversations work, <laughs> you know? It's okay. Um, just, I mean, there was, there was another point I actually wanted to touch on earlier when I was talking, but I'll have to get back to it later because we've kind of gone on this topic. Because <laughs> yeah. there, there was some, there was another thing I kind of wanted to talk about how that relates to viewing things. But um, I think when, I mean, when you look at how many things on the internet, just for example, can trace themselves back to this, can see people talking about when you look at places like fucking neocaf even like i can't just tell you oh it had all this cultural impact and all this stuff without saying you know that without having some kind of sighting and i don't have the sighting in front of me right now but that's okay i mean we're not a we're not like professional like silent hill like silent hill 2 that's another Mm -hmm. example because it's not Mm -hmm. just final fantasy 7 i'm talking about it was just Mm -hmm. the first one that came to my head as a major game that was extremely well regarded for the narrative you got stuff like (laughs) silent hill 2 I mean, I don't think anyone's like, wow, the gameplay in Silent Hill 2 is <laughs> yeah, really what makes it, you know? Yeah, I played but, that a while back. But, Actually, if you mind, Froy, I, I wanted to just mention, I, I think, like, what your point, because, like, I don't think any of us are arguing that they weren't art. I think, to your point, that those games, like Silent Hill 2 and, like, Final Fantasy 7, it, like, I, I really do feel like they are kind of, like, the early uh media that you'd see like it's really hard to go back and watch certain very very old films because they're just so I mean, different and it's hard to go back and I mean, play those games now you know yeah you have, you have to realize that i think that <laughs> final fantasy 7 is a more interesting game narratively than the last of us for example in terms of my kind of perception on things hmm. obviously that's not necessarily you can argue how normal that is whatever that's not my point because i'm not arguing about <laughs> the quality but i'm, I'm kind of giving that more as a perspective mm-hmm. of my thoughts on some of this stuff but I, I kind of wanted to touch on something else. I'm kind of just going to put it out there because otherwise we might run out of time. Yeah, do it. But around 2007 is another thing, and I probably bring this up. So almost all the games you see about this that get talked about are Western, are made in the West in this way. And around 2007 is when the United States took over Japan as the primary purchaser of games, as the primary... Mm source of income that then expanded. And I, I was very, I, this was around the time I was reading on the internet and I could even find old articles. There was an, even an article I read talking about this. Maybe I should link it at some point, whatever. Um, there is a lot of articles from that time. And even now, cause part of what made me think of this is something I'll get to in a second, even. I just shouldn't go off topic. Um, how the, a lot of the Western games were bringing real narrative instead of the weird Japanese things kind of thing. Like um, if you read a lot of game journalists about um, the DMC reboot going before it was released, before they looked at it, and it had this very just generic going for the Western look for narrative, going for a very standard rebel narrative. They're like, 
oh, Devil May Cry is maturing. It is all that kind of stuff, yada, yada, yada. Uh, if you read a lot of undercurrents of that, I think you see a lot of kind of an inherent bias towards certain forms of storytelling. And I kind of think it's gotten a bit better nowadays, partially probably because people who grew up on that stuff in the 90s, for example, are now old enough that they're entering the fields and therefore discussing it. Yeah, I mean, xenophobia uh, is rife within a lot of, like, I mean. Right. Yeah. Because this is one of the things that came up, because, like, 2007 was around the time where a lot of the Western story-based game developers were actually putting out things and started actually doing things. Like, there are always RPGs, like, again, like Planescape Torment, for example, but those are always things that appeal more to a niche audience to begin with. Yeah. So, but I think you know, we also I think have the niche to... thing's the key there, though. Mm. I was just saying, I think the niche thing's there's the key, and I think it's a perfect storm of um, those things where they're not necessarily niche, they have more of an appeal coming to the fore. The other thing that was occurring to me is um, that's when the, the sort of more recent indie glow started, games like Braid and Limbo, mm. where there is a Yeah, that's also true. I would agree with that. Because Braid was what? Uh... I feel like Braid they were was 08, I think that was, right. yeah. yeah. But, it, you know, all that, that sort of Right, window. right. Ugh. I agree with that. I want, and I... that you, can kind, you can kind of see the genesis of a lot of the kind of modern indie, which is trying to be very artsy and all that nowadays, comes from that kind of era. Yeah, I wish we could keep going on ages because I would like to continue talking about this because this is interesting. Um, <laughs> I think we could find multiple stages throughout even the 2010s where like things change yeah. as games are like... And I don't know. I, I think, like you said, I, I, I do take issue with the idea of the like maturing as the word, but I think evolving right it's an art form that is constantly evolving and it it reaches new i, depths, I think it's right? i think it's changing mm -hmm. i think i don't necessarily see it as an evolution because that kind of implies that it's getting superior which i don't necessarily agree with i think it's changing the structure of how it presents it yeah i mean some games are I definitely see. getting better i mean like for so, instance... yes some games some games are definitely <laughs> yeah. better that's, that's I mean, undeniable of course like, they are the actual meaning of the world is more like the games are adapting like yes. to uh, different yeah, okay, standards okay. in the world. That, that's true. If you use in that, if you use in like the uh, evolutionary thing, that's right. <laughs> yeah. But I just want to say one thing because I imagine we're gonna have to go, and I'll keep it brief. <laughs> is one of one of the reasons this even sparked in my head is because there was a game reviewer looking at the uh, trailer of Tales of Arise. And it was very much just like, oh, look at all this weird Japanese stuff. And it kind of made me yeah. laugh because the Tales games are like, most of them are some of the most straightforward ones that aren't really that weird at all. <laughs> I like the series, but they are almost always very straightforward. And I'm, and like, this is a guy who was like talking, had multiple articles about how great World of Warcraft plot is. <laughs> and World of Warcraft plot is way more convoluted than like 90% of games. <laughs> that's good i like that <laughs> yeah i mean you're gonna encounter a lot of weird xenophobia stuff and but i mean there is a reality to i've talked about this before on it like i've come to terms with realizing that there's elements of like um japanese like culture that comes through that i just don't resonate with whatsoever right and like right. that's gonna happen for a lot of people and right. vice versa for a lot I of mean, japanese gamers for instance they're like xbox right. fuck off it's not like you have to like something it's more yeah. i don't know understanding that something you dislike might just be something you don't enjoy rather than it's inherently bad that's, that, that's what i think more yeah and, and on that note, we should probably throw this conversation yes. 
now to the comments and the discord and the email when do you think games started becoming art was it 97 was it 07 was it a different time we'd love to know and hey if you're on youtube while you're backing it in the comments why don't you smash that like button <laughs> oh shit i'm yeah. sniffing a mini Do all the things now. i'm sniffing a mini so yes. we try to figure out the different eras <laughs> Yo, yes, yes, yes. If, if you want to do a mini sod like that i'll come on yeah, i love go. to talk about this uh-huh. if you're wondering if you're wondering i'm gonna say early 90s, early 90s. there you go yeah um all right well why don't we move on to our next to our game guest the game welcome to guess the game where the aim of the game is to guess the guest game Froy, what are we playing this time uh so um the answer is that um <laughs> i hand pulled because my computer laptop had crashed so i hand pulled up how long to be that i need to pull a game up that's the answer you have here <laughs> Good. so if you want to read off the completion times and some notes um we'll try to guess and rick's tired of All shit right. so maybe yeah, maybe this is your window. If ever you, if ever you're gonna win one, this is the week. <laughs> All right, I, I'm gonna pick a game. Your hint is gonna be that it is kind of like it's not gonna be a mainstream game. It's kind of obscure. Okay. okay. All right. It has it has a total of 52 completions on how long to beat. That's enough. That's enough. All right. Okay. Uh, okay. So what are, what are the times, times for this one? Yeah. All right. So main story: 14 hours, 19 minutes. Okay. Main plus extras, 21 hours, 5 minutes. 21 hours, okay. 100%, 29 hours, 52 minutes. And you know what? I'll throw in something extra. This is a game I've been, and my time was 32 hours, 7 minutes. Okay. You beat this one. Okay. Um, can you give us one of the completion notes, like one of the re- review? Or yes, I just have to. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, filters so right. and like. I'll, I'll, gra- I'll grab this one from it. Dude Ranch. Nice. Uh, gameplay was gameplay was fantastic. Story was a bit mysterious and hard to follow. No hand holding in this game either. Mm. Story can you forget the times, please? Huh? Can we can we write down the times so I don't Yeah, write them down. Do you want me to get them again? Please, please. No problem at all. So tell me when to do, tell me when to go. Okay, it's main. Main is? Main is 14 hours, 19 minutes. Okay. Um, main plus extra is 21 hours, 5 minutes. Uh, 20, okay. 20, 25? 21 hours, 21. 5 minutes. Okay, okay. And you said it took you 32. 100% is 29 hours, 52 minutes. I'll note 100% only has three completions. Ah. Okay. Can you repeat one hundred percent? Huh? Uh, can you repeat one hundred percent? Because I no. am writing them down the doc, actually. I I, I beat uh, main plus extras thirty two hours seven minutes. What are the platforms, if you don't mind me asking? Only on one platform, Game Boy Advance. Game Boy Advance. Oh, okay. I have an immediate oh. guess. Is it Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories? No. It is not Kingdom Hearts Chain of Memories. I, I think I know this game. Um, All right. Is this an RPG? It is an RPG. Is this Summon Knight Swordcraft story? <laughs> he got it. He got oh, it correct. From the Rick finally lost. Show notes. Yeah. If I'd <laughs> been was... more on the ball, I would have drawn that connection. Because it, it was my favorite game. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Your favorite game. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, when you say Game Boy Advance, I went, oh yeah, he talked about this. This is in his show notes. 
I mean, uh, just so you know, the next hint I was going to give is crafted far too many unnecessary weapons during the main story barely touched the post-game content. <laughs> this looks like a good game. Oh, my God. It is. I highly recommend this game. It is, well, it's my favorite game right now until I finish. But this game has incredible aesthetic. The weapon crafting is simple, but very, like, enjoyable. Like, you're not going to get, like, very complex crafting, but it's just really, every weapon has a different sprite. Every weapon has different stats. You, the more you use a weapon, you level it up. Um, well, it has a durability, durability system where it's basically second life bar. But the way you get special weapons is you have to break the opponent's weapon by depleting their weapon durability. Well, I'm going to add this to my uh, my good old handheld backlog. Pop that on the GBA there. <laughs> nice. Thanks, I'm bro. going to add. I'm going to make one note if you play mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get one of four partners. By far, in my opinion, the best is play with the female protagonist and get Sugar as the partner. Sugar is by far the best. The fairy. <laughs> That's a great name, Sugar the Fairy. I'm playing this game. All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> it's technically, it's technically Sugarette, but everyone just says Sugar. Nice. It's too, it's too large for the screen. All right. So that means that Rick still has three points. I've got one now. Paul's got zero. I don't think I'm <laughs> Rick's reign of terror <laughs> finally ended. Reign of terror. Right. How dare you? I'm a benevolent the ruler. That's true. All right. Now it's time to go on to. How long to beat the game? Rick, what's the game we're playing? It's your editing week. Uh, it is. Uh, right. <laughs> oh, wait. Why I'm, do you bear want in mind to... that I'm on my phone because I haven't got Wi-Fi. Can somebody potentially yeah, hook I'll... me up, please? I got you. I got you. I, I just remembered. I'm like, wait, this is going to be hard for you. Okay. Hidden Thank stats. You. Random. <laughs> oh, interesting. It's going to be a juggle. Uh, Dragon Warrior 3. So Dragon Quest 3. Dragon... Oh, shit. I, I'm actually playing this game. <laughs> Oh, oh. Yeah, I'm not, and I fucking played the first one this year, but or was it last year? This is like I think I this is. I remember looking up one. the times for this one, but I can't remember shit. All right, <laughs> uh, I I, I kind of remember it, but I'm probably I'm almost certainly gonna underguess. I feel. Yeah. Because if you get it right, uh, you're the only guess to get it right. <laughs> yeah. Because um uh I I when I played Dragon Quest two, I came in under, and I'm probably gonna end up mentally making it go under. Mm. Um. Let's see. Well, I don't have to go first. Someone else can go first. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Go on, then. I I'm gonna stick my feet both straight first into the water. God, I'm tired. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Rick's uh, like main story nap time. <laughs> <laughs> main story plus. Um. Right, so I'm going to go for all three. I'm going to say main story, 26 hours. Okay. I'm going to say main plus 30 hours. I'm going to say 100% 32 hours. So 26, 30, 32. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to go with 20 hours for main. Uh, for main plus, I think I'm gonna stick around 23 hours. Um, for 100%, it's gonna be, uh, I'm gonna say 24 hours and a half. All right. Um, I feel like it's a long game, but yeah, what do you think? I'm, uh, it is a long game, but mm -hmm. it's, it, it, is, is, an any, it is an NES RPG. It's not like, you know, okay, 70 hours or anything. Um, 
I seem to recall that Maine and the other ones had a larger gap than just you would expect. I'm going to go, I'm almost certainly going to underguess this, whatever. Maine, 16 hours, 23 minutes. Okay. Uh, mm. Maine plus, I'm going to go 24 hours, 100% 28 hours. I'm going to 28. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to go. I'm going to 19 and a half hours for Maine. Uh, let's try to cover the gamut. We'll go 25 hours for Maine Plus. And then for probably 100%, underguess. I'm going to go uh, 27 hours. Yeah, why not? 27 hours. Let's do okay, that. Okay, I changed my time. So okay. it's 20 hours Maine, 24 hours Maine Plus, and 28 hours and 30 minutes good all right you ready everyone oh, yeah i'm just gonna i'm just yes. gonna keep it i'm almost certain i got incorrect but i'm gonna just gonna keep it here we go okay so it is main story 28 hours yeah i got the main 100 percent up okay i mean, I mean so far 33 hours completionist 33 yes. and a half hours congratulations rick <laughs> Yeah, Rick got Back it. Back on top, baby. <laughs> he, he lost guess the game, but he got this one. <sighs> yeah. I uh, I picked my battle is what I did. There you go. So I that think means maybe. Rick is at 63 points, Alex 59, Paola 50. Guest still at zero, unfortunately, but... Yeah. <laughs> I've gone to shake okay. my fist in the you know, arm that I've had I, to jab I, I, in. I, 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 I want to check something <laughs> very quick. Um, I want to check something very quick. That was... Oh, I should have stayed a little higher on it. Yep. But I would have gone real too quick. High. Yeah, no, real quick. Dragon Quest Two, sixteen hours thirty nine minutes. Yeah, I knew this uh, one was longer than Dragon Quest Two because I remember. Yeah, all right. Well, that's it, everybody. That was another great week of how long to beat the game and the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, Froy, uh, and giving us a yeah. nice spicy topic. Um, mm. <laughs> Thank you. I have many more to spice. <laughs> my name might be Frozen Roy, but my topics are hot. Oh, that's a good way no. to end it. <laughs> we'll see you all. And on that note, next uh, next week. Don't forget to send us an email at howlongtobeatpodcast at gmail.com if you have any questions or just want to say hi. Toodles. Bye. Bye. I'm going to go and take a nap now.